Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. We have made it to Friday. <laughs> and it's uh, nice weather once oh, again yeah. out there. A little it's... bit of a chilly start, but it'll warm up and be just about perfect. No rain, though. Sunshine. And that's always a good thing. We I had, think the weatherman did say there was a chance of pop-up showers, but... Today? Yeah, but it's only in, I want to say, south Mississippi and extreme northwest Mississippi, if okay. I remember correctly. Okay. But well, yeah, should be sunny sunny skies for the majority of the Magnolia State today. We can stand uh, the sunshine for sure. i tell you where the sun ain't shining, and that's in the United States House of Representatives. <laughs> What a circus! Another vote scheduled for about uh, in about 50 minutes from our present time. Uh, how many will that be? Number 12? Yes. I believe that will be number 12, right? A dozen. <laughs> we have exceeded the 1923 number of votes. That was nine. The most came in. 1855-56, I believe. Is yeah, 1855-1857, the 34th Congress. We looked it up the other day, and that was, what, 100 and some odd, right? 133rd ballot was the final ballot. <laughs> it feels like we're headed that way, does it not? Well, if he gets to 12, he will be tied for, let's see, one, two, three, it'll be the... Tied for fourth most ballots. Okay. Required. Well, 11 votes, three days, no speaker has emerged. I have an idea. It's just that. Just hit me uh, last night. I, I certainly appreciate some of the demands from the detractors. They see that this is a time to really express their voice, be heard, and, and uh, have an impact. Because they, they are a relatively small group when you look at the size of the conference in the entire chamber overall. And some of the things I believe they're asking for are a bit unreasonable, uh, more importantly, untenable. 
But it's it's certainly you could look at this and say, well, this is the time to really to pounce, to make your your d desires and your demands known, and maybe use that as some leverage. I get that. And I did review again the commitment to America plan. That was Kevin McCarthy's blueprint, his vision. The couple of issues I have with it, and I overall I support it. Okay, I thought it was well done. Couple of issues. One is it's now being revealed that was done somewhat in a vacuum, without a great deal of input. I have some issue with that. If it's your vision individually for you serving as a member of the House, that's one thing. But if it's your vision for the party, the conference, with you at the helm in that chamber, I think that should include input from others in the party, in the conference. Second thing is, it leaves a bit to be desired in that it wasn't specific and explicit enough in some areas, such as our fiscal issues and our crippling deficits and runaway debt. And while I don't think we can get a balanced budget amendment passed, I'm certainly in support of attempting to do so. Get up-down votes on that. That's fine. Because but like I've said before, that's these dissenters' job, to write the bill, that's right. present the bill, whip the votes, and get the votes cast. I agree. And, and all I would suggest here, not that Kevin McCarthy's paying attention to what I'm This is like the kicker throwing a hissy fit before kickoff, and he wants field goals to be four points. That's, uh, I agree. But So make a speech. Make a speech and just clarify. I am for a balanced budget. doesn't explicitly say that, okay, in this legislation. I am for regular order. Gosh, dog, we've beat that horse up here on this program when the omnibus bill became the omnibus bill. We called for it. No, we need to observe regular order, 12 separate appropriations bills, debate and deliberate those separately. None of this garbage of cram this 4,155 boondoggle out there. you got two days to vote on it. Be explicit. No, I support and will observe regular order in this chamber. Be, just be explicit. That is one of the things they want, by the way. And that's a reasonable request. So I think what Kevin McCarthy should do, rather than these behind closed doors deal cutting. That's what aggravates Americans. And honestly, you got to call out this group of dissenters for that as well. Let, let's get Kevin McCarthy to address the body and the nation and clarify some of these things. I am going to observe regular order. I do support legislation that would amend, uh, pass an amendment to enact a balanced budget. Uh, something else that gets a little wonky here, but we should uh, we should implement what's called dynamic scoring of budgets and spending bills. And all that really means is, rather than just looking and revenue bills as well, any any legislation dealing with finances, 
Money coming in, money going out, outlays. That those should be scored dynamically. Here's what that means. We've talked about this before. When the CBO scores these bills, they just take the raw data and they assimilate, assemble that into essentially pro forma spreadsheets showing this is what's going to happen over the next 10 years. And it's very objective, meaning it doesn't really consider the impact on spending, the impact on revenues in these legislation, uh, these bills, in this legislation. And it really doesn't take into account how that could affect economically the um, the private sector, the public sector, doesn't take it, that into account from a dynamic perspective. Well, yeah, for example, we can let the Trump tax cuts expire, and that means we'll have this much more revenue coming in. But it doesn't take into account, well, yeah, but people are going to invest less. They're going to therefore spend less, therefore produce less, therefore make less money have less economic activity. It doesn't take into that account, if you follow me here. It just looks at, okay, well, if we get rid of that, that means the tax rates change this way, and you apply that towards last year's income, and boom, here's what you got. And it just spreads that out over 10 years. Boom, here's your scoring. Implement dynamic scoring. little wonky, but important, I believe. Uh, investigation into abuse and illegal activity, peddling influence by the Biden administration? Yeah, I think we need to get to the bottom of that. Now, just launching a series of unending perpetual investigations, I'm not sure about that. I don't know that that's best use of the people's time. But I see, I think certainly, without just doing it for political purposes, but getting to the bottom of what the heck happened there, I think is a worthy exercise. And I believe that he ought to state his intent to do so. But again, I just say, if he would just stand up and address the nation and address this body and say, yeah, I think we need to, to do these things and I'm in for that. The, for example, saying, I am for making the Trump tax cuts permanent. I am for energy independence and provide some detail. I am for pro-growth economic policies and provide some details. And talk about the the balanced budget and his support for that. And just be specific, be explicit. And that's what's missing in the commitment to America is these three or four things that they are asking for if he just clarify in state and assert an official position and plan there, I think he could get elected. But so far, he said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this for the long haul. And that's fine. I respect him for that. But if you think about it, he's not saying a lot. He could endear himself, I think, and garner their support if he'd be very explicit. We're taking a break here on Middays. J.T. Mitchell at 11.05. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Markets are up today. That's on the jobs report. The 10-year yields down. That is fueling the NASDAQ. Growth stocks like that, investors like that, when they see yields on the 10-year in particular decline. The Dow up 555 right now after three straight days of sell-off. NASDAQ up as well, over 1%. It's it's, uh, confusing, to say the least. Volatile. The kangaroo hopping around. I didn't expect this because the jobs report, job creation, came in a little above expectations. But I think the Fed is focusing more, crazy as it is now, Rhino, on not so much on jobs, numbers of jobs, because we've talked about that before. The Fed really wants to, really wants to temper the creation of new jobs. They want to see unemployment tick up. I think what they're also focused on are average wages. And so the report this morning was that average wages ticked up fractionally. And all that really means is that the Fed actually likes that, because that means people have less money to spend, which fuels inflation. And the market gets the signal from that as meaning, okay, well, the Fed won't be so aggressive in hiking interest rates because inflation will become more moderate and under control. We'll temper it somewhat. It's just... It's kind of the opposite is what you think, and that's because the Fed has way too much dang power and because we got a government, as we've discussed, with no interest in enacting any sort of fiscal policy. And by the way, speaking of fiscal policy, you see the Biden administration is now admitting that canceling the Keystone Pipeline actually did cost some jobs. You killed some jobs. The Department of Energy released a report. Well, it only took them, what, two years to figure out when it was evident on day one? And get this, the DOE says it's somewhere between 16,000 and 60. Like my dad used to say, I'd like to have everything between that. 3.4 to roughly 10 billion of economic impact. So again, this dynamic scoring would consider that. That's the point. That's a great example right there. The dynamic scoring would have forced that report not two years later, but before you pass the dang legislation or, in this case, an executive order, which I think is overreach. But it's, it's not just, okay, well, we're going to kill the pipeline. That's going to save the planet. Well, here's the economic impact of that. And I know a lot of people did raise their hand and say, you know, it's going to kill jobs. People are out here working. But get more ex- explicit and There specific. were reports the day he signed it. Yeah of foremen having to call their workers saying, pack it up, we got to go home. I agree. And so just apply that that same concept across the gambit of uh, fiscal policy, such as this goofy omnibus bill, and consider not just uh, all these earmarks that everybody's celebrating. The city of Jackson's getting $600 but the fact that you're starting to peel away some of the benefits in the Trump tax cuts. And what sort of impact does that have on the economy? I say it has a significant impact because the immediate expensing provision of the tax code is getting diluted by 20 percent. 
and companies. That's why you're seeing layoffs right now, and you're going to see more. We're just getting started with the layoffs, in my view, because companies don't get the same tax benefit, which essentially defers taxes, when they make these purchases, these large purchases of plant and equipment and, and uh, other capital assets, where they can write all of that off in the first year, well, now you can only do 80%. That just went into effect. Went from 100% write-off to 80%. Next year it goes to 60 And that does have an economic impact. That should be considered. That should be reported. Not two days before you vote on it, but they knew about this, as you said, six months ago. We need a report. We know this is coming up. Tell us what this means to the economy. And don't give me just, well, that means corporations are going to pay more taxes and they're celebrating there. Well, what's the other economic side of that? That means corporations spend less money with their vendors. Who hire people? Who pay people? It's just don't ever think about that. That's dynamic scoring. So when you get outside of just the numbers, and it's just not being considered. You may have explained this, but why can't just a simple majority work from Johnny and West Point talking about the vote for the Speaker of the House? It's just that the Constitution, Johnny says, that you got to have um, – the uh, it's not just a simple majority, but you got to have the majority of the membership. So in this case, at 435, and as we reported, only 434 are present in the, in the House at this point. One newly elected member passed away between the midterms and now. So 218 required to to win. Got to have the 50%, essentially, 50% plus one, not just a simple majority. Uh, something else I wanted to touch on yesterday. So uh, when we do these remotes, as Rhino knows, it usually those are pretty filled up with interviews because there's a customer that's paying for that remote. And it's there. they're uh, essentially uh, paying for the service of having a voice and, and having their time during the interview process. And we also try to, certainly on something like Capital Day, we're going to try to get members of the legislature, statewide leaders, because that's where we are, where they all are, and it's convenient for all parties. And so all I'm trying to say is that it's a little more difficult to get to the texts. And sometimes those scroll by, and we, we can't really get to them because we're involved in interviews. But Thomas and Greenwood, yesterday, I, I know you sent something that I wanted to address, and here it is here, and you, you apparently sent it again this morning on uh, Paul Gallo's show, and this looks like this was at the time when Jeff Hewitt, president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, was being interviewed. I believe that's now a regularly scheduled interview, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, weekly. How much do Mississippians have to spend on lottery tickets instead of on other things to send NDOT $80 million? Well, that's an interesting question uh, for sure, and lottery sales last year in the state of Mississippi, uh, gross ticket sales, $432 million is what was spent. Now, $251 million of that, 63-4%, went back to the players, to Mississippians. So the 432 in, in ticket sales, $432 million, $251 million, $251 million, roughly 
was paid out in the form of prizes. And then retailer commissions were paid as well, and uh, that came in at, uh, let's see here, about 25. Mm-hmm. 25 million. So you will be interested in. So that, of course, went back to the operators of the retailers that are selling tickets. Now, you'll probably be interested in knowing, Thomas, because I know you, you talk about this a lot. You bring this up a lot. What about the admin cost? The admin cost? The admin cost? All right, Ryan, oh, you yeah. see that? Okay, so in accordance with law, when the Mississippi Lottery Corporation was established by the Alice G. Clark Lottery Act, passed in 2018 in special session, operating expenses, administrative costs, cannot exceed 10% of sales. You should be happy to learn that for fiscal year 2022, and consistent with the prior years as well, that came in at 5.6% of sales. 5.6% of sales is what the operating expenses were to uh, administer, operate, function the Mississippi Lottery Corporation. So. Hopefully that answers your question. $432 million comes in. $251 million goes back to the people who played the lottery. The lion's share of it, 65%, which, by the way, by law has to be 50. We pay 65. I mean, that's, it's a sales game. you got to figure out what the, the, the sweet spot is of a payout to make sure people pay. You don't get paid enough. If they see that it's not frequent enough, they're not winning enough, they don't play. Simple as that. So $251 million goes back. It takes uh, $10 million or so to operate the thing. $80 million goes to the uh, Department of Transportation State Highway Fund. The excess over that, which came in at about $42 million last year, goes to the Education Enhancement Fund, the EEF. So that's the answer to the question. What you're saying is it's not like it just up and vanished like a fart in the wind. No, it doesn't pass through the legislature whatsoever. Coming back on Midday, stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome Welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. With you on middays. Once again, JT Mitchell, News Director, Super Talk Mississippi News at 11.05. We will run down all the news from across the state of Mississippi this past week. And then at 12.05, Representative Charles Busby, he represents a District 111, that's Jackson County. He's the chair of the Transportation Committee. So I also wanted to go back to Let's see, Johnny and West Point, just wanted to clarify 
the the term, Johnny, uh, we're looking for, there's plurality, and that refers to, in an election, the candidate who receives the most votes would be deemed the winner. I think that's what you're looking for, Johnny. In the case of the Speaker, it does require a majority. It is a simple majority as opposed to a supermajority. Simple majority is 50 percent plus one. Supermajority usually comes under some other definition, whatever the supermajority is deemed to be, but it exceeds the simple majority of 50 percent plus one. That's just the rules, you know, in the chamber is the way that works. Ben from Madison says, you think that kangaroo would get tired eventually. That's what Rhino said. It's not, clearly. And I think we're in some, for some choppy waters here in the markets, in the economy. Honestly, I, I think we're just getting started. I've heard, you know how Rhino, I've said so many times, economists like to use the, the phrase, uh, on the other hand, that's why you got to have two hands to be an economist. Back to back, I heard two reputable economists. One of them is Stephen Moore, who's been on our program, served in the Trump administration, discussing the jobs report that came out this morning, 7.30. And it came in a little better than expected, and Stephen Moore said he believes this is the last report where we see more jobs created than economists forecast, and the last report where there will not be an increase in unemployment. It actually ticked down fractionally. Right after that, I can't remember the individual's name, an economist, and both fairly right-leaning. I mean, Stephen Moore clearly is a conservative economist and believes in conservative fiscal policy and monetary policy, and was one of the architects of the Trump tax cuts. But anyhow, this other economist comes on and says, I think we got more months, more weeks, just like this, if not even better. Basically saying there's still a very strong labor market, 1.7 jobs available for every person not working. Still, arguing that and I, and I do believe he's right on this to some extent at this point, that the government is still spending too much money, sending too much money, sending to, spending too much money too, but sending too much money to make it too easy for people that are unemployed, playing video games and smoking dope. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's just one of the really bad ways the pandemic changed our culture. And that Let's be honest, all got started under Trump. And that was all because the folks supposedly smarter than us from a scientific and medical perspective said, you got to lock everybody down, can't work. And maybe based on the information they had at the time, that was the most prudent thing to do. In retrospect, turns out, missed the mark to some extent. But I agree with you, Ben. You'd think the dead gum kangaroo would get tired. Darren and Jackson says the last thing we need is another speaker out of California. I, I, I disagree with that, Darren. And I'll say first that we should evaluate a person based on, again, 
who they are. So we've talked about that a million times. What do they stand for? What are their qualifications to, uh, to lead, to serve in this role? And should not consider the state they're from. McCarthy happens to hail from a state of 40 million people. While no doubt the majority of the population leans to the left, the fact is there are more right-leaning conservative people in California than there are in Mississippi, just because of the numbers. And if you go to where he's from, I lived there almost a year, worked there, the Bakersfield, Kern County area. It's hardcore right-wing, that area. It was settled during the Dust Bowl. It came about because folks were moving out of the plains into that area, settled in and discovered oil, and that really made the communities there. And agriculture. Unbelievable agriculture in Kern County, which is a gigantic county. Go look at that on the map. It would encompass a number of counties in Mississippi in terms of land size. I actually lived in a town adjacent to Bakersfield. It was called Oildale. That's the name of the town. <laughs> you know, we had Ryan Miller on the program yesterday. He heads up Accelerate Mississippi. And off the air, he was sharing with me that, and I don't know how we got to talking about it, but he shared with me that his family, his parents, from Bakersfield, I think born there. And I just happened to say, wow, that's something. I worked there for about a year. This is 1981, a long time ago. And I said, I lived in a town called Oildale. Yeah, Oildale. <laughs> so... <laughs> And nobody knows about Oildale, but, and that's because it was so oil-rich. I mean, it, they weren't very creative with a name. And there are oil pumps all over the place out there, by the way. You'll see them in the shopping center parking lots, the church grounds. Oh, yeah. Because Although they have passed a law now where you can't have any new ones within, what is it, 1,200 feet from a school, church, or a couple other things. Okay. Well, 40 years ago when I was there, they would be on Everywhere. a school campus. You'd see it. And they'd paint them up and dress them up and, you know, try to make them look not so I mean, there are several offensive. of them not very far from Rodeo Drive. True. Which where is millions of dollars get spent on frou-frou stuff that really doesn't matter, but that's, that's where the, the campaign to limit where they could place them really started, because... Don't want them in the backyard yeah. in Beverly Hills there, right? in Rodeo Drive, yeah, Bel Air. Yeah, I totally agree. So, Darren, I, I, you know, I, I don't agree with that, and, and I can also say this. I went to Wall Street and raised money and, uh, and, and pitched institutional investors. It's no secret that Mississippi doesn't have the best reputation outside of Mississippi. Now, I find that to be unfounded, and it's typically held by people who've never been here, right? Who don't oh, yeah. know us. And I would ask every single one of those at some point during the presentation, because I needed to know. And it was a rhetorical question to some extent. I wouldn't have been there if they'd have had problems. But I said, do you have any reservations about investing in a Mississippi-based company? Never. No. Not whatsoever. They evaluated the person, the management team, the company, and if, if they'd have said, well, we can't invest in Mississippi, you know, you guys, you're top of the list of all the bad things, 
and you're bottom of the list in all the good things. Things don't look good for us to place money there. I'm grateful they didn't. And I think that's the way we have to look at this, too. And I get what you're saying, Darren. I think generally the news you get out of California and the people you think about from California, certainly in government, is Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and all the kooks. Uh, Ro Khanna is a nut and represents Silicon Valley. I used to go down the list. I mean, there's lots of crazy people that get elected regularly, right, routinely, because they come from deep, solidly blue districts. Look no further than however long Nancy Pelosi's been there. I think we here say, how in the world can they keep sending her back? And they do with ease. They would look at us and say, how can you keep sending those people back that are so far-right-wing MAGA radicals and stuff? It, what it shows is just how far into our corners we have gotten, how we have departed, certainly from the center. There is no center anymore, doesn't appear. Joe Biden was supposed to be moderate, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, that was the bill of goods they sold. Exactly. Mm. I understand, says Thomas. I've got to count the winnings paid and deduct that from the equation. No, you've also got to account the so-called what you call admin costs. Those are paying salaries to people who go out and spend their money. Oh, and the vendors that provide the gaming systems who all have people located here. Oh, what about the $25 million that goes back to the retailers? I don't think you're thinking through this at all, Thomas. And by the way, why would you be opposed to freedom here? Shouldn't people, if they want to, be able to play the lottery? Why would you be opposed to that? that that's not consistent with your, your libertarian leanings there. Government should say, no, we can't let people buy lottery tickets. Coming back, stay with us. All controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. the great George Jones telling us what day of the week it is. <laughs> you think he had a few wild weekends his day? <laughs> well, he did have a song called White Lightning. That's right. And it wasn't talking about storms. <laughs> totally true. Alright, give us an update on DeMar Hamlin. Some good news there. There was some good news let out by the, the Bills organization this morning. Uh, according to the physicians from the UCMC, DeMar Hamlin's breathing tube was removed overnight, and he continues to progress progress remarkably. His neurological function remains intact, and it's been reported that he has been FaceTiming each individual member of the Bills team this morning to let him know he's okay and to tell him he's going to be back as soon as possible. And then I believe he had a FaceTime call with the entire team as well 
so that they could know, hey, I'm doing better. So, yeah, DeMar Hamlin has had the breathing tube removed, so he's breathing on his own. He's out of the coma. He's neurologically intact. So it seems like he's getting on the road to recovery. It's good news. And what was the first thing he inquired about once he reached consciousness? Well, he, he still had the breathing tube in, but he was able to, uh, to use a, I think it was a pad and paper or a whiteboard or something, but he yeah. basically wrote out a question. first thing he asked was, who won the game? Yeah. And one of the doctors had the forethought to, to say, you won. Yeah. You the won game the game of, of life. life. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Totally awesome. Appreciate that update there, Rhino, and the good news for sure. Dan in Hattiesburg reminds one of our most, <coughs> pardon me, beloved presidents came from California. Good point. Absolutely a good point. Yeah, uh, also looking for, there was a, a tweet you may have seen by Cory Booker. You know her. She's, I think, the newest member of the squad. And of course, Corey Bush. Bush, pardon me. Pardon me. Got confused with Booker, the senator from New Jersey. And uh, Cory Bush, (laughs) let's just be honest, she's a racist. Yeah, here it is. For what it's worth, at Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker, he's a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. Right. So, they only attack, in this way, black conservatives. Right? That's just a target for them. Big old bullseye on their back. And she attacks. That's despicable. And you, ma'am, are a racist. I'm just going to say it. Not that we were confused before. You just confirmed it. You validated it further with this ridiculous tweet. He's not a prop. I said it on the program a couple of days ago. I don't care what the hell color he is. I do think he'd be a great speaker. This may not be his time. But I could get behind him in a run in the future. He has got fantastic practical sense about economic policy, which I still maintain is just critical and where the federal government has the most impact on our lives. I just read this morning that Biden is planning on a series of regulations. So where we had an era of deregulation during the Trump four years, I think Biden, that's what happens, right? We lost the midterms. It's the old Barack Obama. I got a pen and a phone. And reports are that he's planning on a plethora of what I think are going to be ridiculous regulations that, of course, focus on climate change and equity, the holy grail to the left. They genuflect at the altars of climate change and equity, but that's coming down the pike. Uh, One of those, by the way, he is asking the FTC to outlaw non-compete agreements. This is um, may be something that folks don't care for, non-compete agreements. 
But it's not a place, in my view, for the government to get involved. It is a, an agreement, a contract, mutually agreed to between an employer and an employee. And in some states, they're really not largely considered lawful, only under certain circumstances. In other states that are more employer-friendly, such as Mississippi, I've actually been to court over one here in Mississippi before. I just don't agree with this. I don't agree, because they're going to get in on this the guise, the pretense, actually. We're going to protect the people, and they're just going to screw things up like they always do with more stupid regulations. Coming back after the news with J.T. Mitchell, news director of Supertalk. And now... The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studio, Super Talk Mississippi Middays on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, the news director of Super Talk Mississippi News, J.T. Mitchell. All right, J.T., first week of the legislative session. What's up with that? Well, it's like it never left, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, that as well as... Um, the inability to find a new speaker up there in D.C. seemed Woo. to be the uh, elephants in the room. They just convened, week, by the way. In terms of news. Uh, but we'll circle back around to okay. McCarthy. We'll see if that happens or not. What are they about to be on their 12th ballot? Number 12. Man. Fourth and, day, 12th vote. Yeah, and I saw uh, former Congressman Greg Harper was given his uh, campaign this morning for McCarthy. Yeah. So we'll see what happens okay. there, Lo- longest in 146 years. But let, let's stay local for right now. Regarding the legislature, um, both chambers have adjourned until Monday. But, you know, this is kind of what they call the honeymoon period. This first week, everybody gets back in, you know. Bumps elbows, says hello, starts talking about what they want to get going. Yeah. That's pretty much over now. Things are about to really start rolling this next week. I'm sure we have, um, we do have a lot of deadlines coming up. But yeah, so this week what happened was we saw a lot of ideas floated around. We saw a bunch of what I like to call happy resolutions introduced. But the big storyline was um, the prospect of possibly overriding a bunch of. Governor Reeves' vetoes from last year, which when I heard that, I was kind of surprised that they might be able to get through with it. But as we have found out now is they won't. The House supposedly had enough votes. The Senate could not muster enough. Okay. So it doesn't look like they're going to get enough. As far as I know, uh, both leaders of both chambers were in favor. Uh, Is that what you've heard as well? I have not. Um, On the House side, yes, I do not know the lieutenant governor's position. Well, okay, I I won't put words in his mouth, but at least I do know that um, they both agreed that it was kind of an overreach of power from Governor Reeves. What are we talking about specifically? Talking about the vetoes themselves or any specific veto item that was vetoed? Right, so last year Governor Reeves vetoed a total of 10 projects, so about $27 million worth. 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. overall, they approved 223 million capital projects. Yeah. And what the argument is, is that his vetoes were an overreach of executive power. You know, these duties, uh, what they call purse string duties, are more reserved for the legislators right. themselves. Right. I guess. Because, you know, I guess the idea is, you know, big legislature, small governor in terms of power. Right. Uh, that's something Mississippi has tried to go for for a while. So, yeah, that's not going to happen, it doesn't look like. We'll see. You know, never say never. But it does not look like there's going to be an override of the vetoes. Um, but what we have heard from other lawmakers this week is there's about to be a lot introduced, about to be a lot of ideas brought to the floor. Um, the glaring thing is the health care crisis. Hmm. You know, you had Minority Leader Robert Johnson on earlier yep. this week, yep. and it seems as if Democrats and Republicans are going to work at least on a short-term solution. Yep. Um, right now we have about six hospitals in the state that are facing closure by the end of summer 23, which is now this year. I'm trying to get used to, you know, it's, it's 2023. And so at least <laughs> I, I believe we'll see a short-term solution out of it. Long-term, I'm not so sure. I'm interested to see what they bring to the floor and what gets through. Um, they're also going to look into, uh, you know, in this post-Roe world, making adoption easier, uh, revamping the foster care system. There's still a lot of money. Everybody's been talking about the budget surplus. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot of money to be appropriated. Um, the $300 million in ARPA funds still remaining. Um, that's for water, sewage, whatnot. And I guess while we're talking about water, I do have an update on uh, which zip codes have been lifted here in Jackson. So I know a lot of our listeners are either working or living in Jackson. But uh, for the majority of the city, the bull water notice has been lifted. That's uh, 39211, 39206, 39202, 39201, and 39213. Um, back to the legislative session. I guess Jackson is going to be an emphasis at the session as well. The yeah, water. I think so. Um, crime. The crime. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has a lot of ideas on that, you know, expanding Capitol Police. Right now we're at 105, 150 is the goal, I believe, expanding their jurisdiction. Because we see a lot of issues there in terms of which departments know what to do regarding where it is. Yeah, there's also no jail in the city of Jackson. (laughs) There's a jail, it's just empty, right? It's empty. It's not staffed. (laughs) Right. There's a physical facility, not staffed, not operating. That's what the lieutenant governor told me back last summer. Yeah, and so they're using the Raymond Sheriff's facility, High County. Unless it's murder or rape, and I hate to say that, it's a catch and release kind of thing. That's right. And so, you know, if you go carjack somebody, you'll probably get arrested and then let go. Yep. And you can do it again if you want. Uh, You might get five years, but you might get five years suspended also. No place to put them. That's kind of baffling for the largest city in the state, right? I agree. So they have to figure that out. Yep. And from what Lieutenant Governor Hoseman said is the goal is to expand the jurisdiction of Capitol Police where virtually the entire city is their jurisdiction. Well, then it seems like the state would be funding for police protection for the city, for right. the municipality. Do you know, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know how many Jackson police officers there are. I heard something the other day, and again, this was just in casual passing, that there are more Capitol Police officers than Jackson Police Department police officers. I'd, you might be right. I would I would hope not, right? 
105 Capitol Police officers. Okay, well, I think there's 250 or so, JPD. But they have said for years that, that the, the sweet spot number truly needed is about 500. Yeah, I've heard baffling percentages in terms of understaff. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, say you do expand Capitol Police to the entire city. Yep. If you add the two, maybe you have a full-force police department. Yeah, right. Maybe. Maybe. But you got to get the jail situation figured out. You have to get the um, sentencing situation Judicial figured out. Judicial system is problematic. Um, like you have to enact the mandatory sentencing laws, uh, not only across Jackson, but across the state. Yeah. And I think that's an issue that legislators want to try and take care of. I agree. Um, because, I mean, the crime is... It is bad in Jackson. Jackson is always going to be the focus because it's the biggest city. But it's bad across the state, too. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just a Jackson thing, but Jackson is the epitome of where we're at. I agree. Um, we're also going to look at restoring this ballot initiative process. You know, I think a lot of people forget that right now you cannot start a grassroots campaign to get something on a ballot or to change a law. Right. And that has been the case since I-65, uh, 2020, I think. That's right. was contested, Supreme Court. It was when the Supreme Court knocked yeah. it down. Um, and so right now you cannot do that. I know uh, Representative Shanks, right? He's the one yep. who's big on, in, the, house side, on yeah. the House side trying to get that going again. Mm-hmm. I think that should be one of the priorities. Uh, we're also, once again, talking about taxes. You know, a lot of people say, well, let's do a tax rebate. Let's put a check into the taxpayer's uh, pockets. A lot of people are saying, well, let's just speed up this process. You know, last year they voted and was signed into law the four-year phase-out mm-hmm. of the state income tax, which is something you're very well-versed in. But I know Speaker Gunn's like, hey, let's just speed it up. This is top priority. He made it clear on the program uh, earlier this week, this past Tuesday, that uh, complete elimination of the income tax phased out in a reasonable fashion is top priority legislatively. Now, is he... Um, Obviously, he's in favor of doing that, yeah. but is he also in favor of the rebate, or is he saying, hey, let's just not do that, let's speed it up? Yeah, I would say it's the latter. That yeah. it, it doesn't make sense to just do a one-time rebate if we're going to phase the whole thing out. And, in fact, it, that really wouldn't work. Right. It, that would that would cause some uh, some math problems, honestly. The lieutenant governor, on the other hand, he's for a one-time and rebate. And I believe a lot of taxpayers would be happy with it's more of the short term versus long term, right? right. That's you right. know, you get a check now or you just save your money going forward. Right. Um, but they'll figure that out, I'm sure. And so what some people thought might be a little bit of a less busy session doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. There's a lot to talk about and it's also an election year. I agree. So we have a big um, eighty five days ahead of us. Yep. And it's about to start speeding up, like I said earlier, now that this honeymoon period is over. Um, so with election year, we had a lot of people announced this year, I mean this week, because yep. qualifying began on Monday. Um, so you're going to see most all incumbents running. Speculation that uh, Senator Chris McDaniel is going to uh, put up a primary challenge to Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and also lots of rumors this week about uh, Bill Waller. Justice yes. Bill Waller. Sounds like he's running he again might for have governor. a dog in the fight. I saw yesterday that Shawaski Young, who's been on the program yeah, a bunch, Democrat. he'll announce on Tuesday what he's running for. I think it's going to be high-level statewide office. Yep, but I don't know which one. Governor, lieutenant governor, I suspect. Right. We'll see. Yeah. Um, it's all going to be interesting. Sure and is. 
So, <laughs> appreciate it, <JT. laughs> Another session. You're welcome. Here we go. Plenty more to talk about. The door's bumping us out just for you. <laughs> Waiting for the Sun, the name of one of their best albums, by the way. J.T. Mitchell, news director, Super Talk Mississippi News, coming right back in the Element Well Studios, Representative Charles Busby at 12.05. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. day. Pick me up. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Well Studios, tucked in the Farm Bureau building here on Ridgewood Road in Jackson. McCarthy nominated for the 12th speaker ballot. Just received a text from Congressman Michael Guest, says they're back at it. Yes, they are, and they expect it to be a long day that they're making progress on some of the holdouts, see where that goes. So earlier I was talking about just some ideas I had about how I think McCarthy could maybe bridge the gap, and it would be to be more specific and explicit on some policy matters. Here's where I depart from the demands of this, this group of holdouts. This, the demand that they have a certain level of participation from their caucus on committees. I object to that. That's affirmative action. You're not a conservative if you say, you gotta, you got to agree to put so many of these people from, so many people from this group, again, because of what they are and their affiliation in a caucus, in these positions simply because of that. That is counter to the concept of merit. How about earning those positions? So this is honestly in conflict with conservatism, in my view. This is another example of you just get it because of what you are. Not because you're qualified, you earned it. Because of any performance capabilities. That's not right. So I, I disagree with that. You want to ensure and get the commitment that we're going to talk about a balanced budget amendment and have at least some investigations where they make sense. And again, where are you holdouts on demanding that the Speaker put a bill on the floor to make the Trump tax cuts permanent, I would argue that's is maybe the most important fiscal policy you could enact. Why don't you do that? I consider that pretty important. It is true. You know, I said this yesterday, and I, and I need to clarify. I said that you guys want a balanced budget amendment, but you have not presented a plan. I, I discovered I was wrong. They have, in fact, 
and I scanned it some last night. It's 122 pages, and it's deep. And this was commissioned by a group of House conservatives that uh, included, by the way, in the those who signed and, and um, put their signature on the final plan, Representative Trent Kelly. I wasn't aware of that until I read the plan and saw the at the top of the document the signature pages. So I, I haven't dug into it enough to really comment on it enough uh, at this point, I should say. It, but again, it's 122 pages. But I'll, I'll take a look at it over the weekend, and it does address all the the major fiscal issues within our budget and, and uh, how they think we could properly fund those functions of government and balance the budget in seven or eight years. Uh, i give you, for example, looking at the table of contents, ensuring liberty through deregulation. Fair enough. I agree. Providing for the common defense. Saving Medicare, reforming disability insurance, make Social Security solvent again, budget process reform, other mandatory spending, 122 pages. I'll dig into it. So I was wrong. They do have a plan. I'm really curious as to why they're not talking about it. I don't remember this getting any fanfare when it was released. Where are they been? Where's anybody been on this? And this was released, I believe, back in the summer, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in advance, of course, of the end of the fiscal year. This was a fiscal 2023 budget plan, but it included, of course, forward-looking, a forward-looking vision and proposals to ultimately balance the budget and uh, eliminate this perennial trillion-dollar budget trend, a deficit trend that we're on. And it was, the chairman was Representative Jim Banks of Indiana and Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma. But I'm looking here at the signatories, which include Representative Trent Kelly. Did was not aware. And a little surprised that Representative Kelly never mentioned it, but I'm not sure we've had him on since then. I can't, can't actually recall. But, so I'm pleased that somebody, I've called for this. Well, you talk about balancing the budget. Where's your plan to do so? Now, whether or not it's tenable, that's a different story. Right? I don't think it's gotten this dynamic scoring that I've talked about. And in reading the first few paragraphs and a couple of the sections, I guess the issue I do have, it still sounds like it sort of stays at a more abstract level. Is, is opposed to a, a specific and objective level, which is always a problem, uh, in my view, of course. Uh, Russ Vogt, who worked in the Trump administration, also drafted a balanced budget plan, again, the seven- or eight-year time frame. And that reminded me of something, by the way. Yesterday we were having a discussion about uh, the emergence and ultimate legalization of casino g- gambling, gaming in the state of Mississippi. And lots of our, our folks on the ceasefire text line said that when that was being debated, that there were lots of promises made 
about how that would, I think someone said, it would fix everything. A couple of others said this would, quote, fix education. I think another one of our audience said, we were told we would never have to spend another dollar on education, and my interpretation of that means, well, we don't need the $2.5 billion that comes out of the general fund to support education. We could just do it all with casino gaming tax. And unfortunately, this is one of those situations, didn't get enough time to address these texts yesterday because of the remote. But I will say, if anybody said that, a lawmaker said that, this will fix education, if they use that term, and that's very subjective term, what does that mean, fix? And if this means we'll never have to spend another dime on education, I assume that means out of the general fund, or somebody else said, Rhino, we'll have the best education in roads and bridges in the nation. You remember that text flowing through yesterday? If somebody said that, a state lawmaker in either chamber, a statewide leader at that time, well, shame on them. That, that's making a political promise that you simply cannot keep. And you know what? Shame on us for believing it, if we, in fact, believed it. we got to use our head a little bit more. Well, you got to remember, Democrats controlled the legislature for a long time, well, that's including true. that point in time. That's, you're, you're right about that. So uh, if you did hear promises made about the casinos and education, they were more than likely made well, by good. Democrats. Good point. Which... Democrat in the White House loves telling lies. That's a good point. Now, was enacting legislation to legalize casino gambling good in retrospect for the state of Mississippi? Yeah, I believe it, it was. I, and, but more from the perspective of how that bolstered the economy. I don't see how you can go down to the Gulf Coast. And I just bring that up because that's where most of them are concentrated. How can you go down there today and not see the impact that's had? I mean, just open your eyes, right, and see that. Talk to people who live and work down there. It's pretty clear. A whole new industry sprung up. Hired a lot of people. Spent a whole lot of money. Heck, some were my customers. I benefited from it. So I, I, I think you have to be honest about that. Now, is it... A silver bullet to cure every problem in the state of Mississippi? No, that's crazy. That's short-sighted. But this is where I'm going with this. I'm talking about thinking about this budget and this this budget, which would ostensibly would balance, uh, provide for a balanced budget at the federal level in seven or eight years. Candidate Donald Trump said, "You remember that? Once I'm in, within four years or so." We will be budget neutral. We will not produce a deficit, and I will pay off all the debt within eight. Well, that was really just not possible, and it didn't happen, obviously. In fact, we went the other direction. Just pointing out, that's what happens when you make these promises and pledges that you really can't keep. Coming back on Midday, stay with us. This is great. This is great. Balls of fire. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. 
the crowd and play so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Who's gonna steal the show? You know, baby, it's the guitar man. He can make you love, he can make you cry. David Gates and Brad saw him at the Mississippi Coliseum in 1972, I believe. Great tune, appreciate that. Excellent time to mention your projections of all revenue being completely consumed by transfer and interest payments by 2025. Real close to that right now. That's on the ceasefire tax line. Really close to that right now on the path to produce one point two and change trillion dollar deficit for fiscal year 2023. If you think about the fact that discretionary spending is $1.7 trillion, that's the omnibus bill that just passed in a $6 trillion budget, we're pretty dead gum close to that point right now. It's, it's, so you could look at 80%, think of it this way, 80% of the military and domestic spending outside of mandatory statutory programs, Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, a variety of other uh, statutory transfer payment programs, and debt interest, which is on track to hit $600 billion. Think about that. We're going to spend $850 billion to defend the country through the Department of Defense. Our debt interest is three-quarters of that amount. That literally is putting a match to money. And that's all because of radical, irresponsible spending, which has been going on for some time. Didn't just start. But it does seem that we're just indifferent to it. We've become insensitive to it. It's become ingrained in the process. We don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, you want to do that? Just add that into the bucket. No problem. It's, it's disturbing. My Democrat state senator and rep at the time voted against gaming for religious reasons, they said. That from Larry and Mize. Thanks for sharing that. It's interesting. Whole bunch of people said that about the casinos, according to Jason on the ceasefire text line. It wasn't just Democrats who have since turned Republican. I remember the politicians saying that when Pickwick Lake in Tishomingo County was looking at allowing it. All Republican. Interesting. Then from Madison, a couple of reps who have been voting against McCarthy have now thrown their support behind him. Yeah, I saw that come across the screen in the studio here, Ben, that... McCarthy indicated he thought some holdouts were defecting. The vote, by the way, being taken right now. Watching the numbers on the screen, so we'll know the results here pretty soon. David from Bruce said that I used to pull cotton out from Bakersfield, Allen Lund Cotton Broker, to the Carolinas in the 80s. Yeah, they, it's, that is something else. They grow an enormous amount of cotton in that valley. That's interesting. He says in the, date, uh, the grapevine area, he said, I pulled a lot of produce from out there also, working on site 
uh, about seven years. I remember the migrant farmers at the time, probably illegal, working on the farms, entire families I'd see out in the fields. And after the day, they would uh, set up in station wagons at the time, maybe old vans, and I believe the farmers would just give them some of the, the, the yield, the crop, in this case fruits and vegetables, and they would sell them as a way to earn extra money. And I kid you not, what I remember was a basket of five avocados about that big, freshly picked and fairly ripe, like ready to eat, 50 cents for five. Long before the guacamole and avocado toast crazes. That's true. But you sure did have a whole bunch of great Mexican restaurants in the area, oh, right, yeah. that served it up. But right, the, not before the, the liberals and the... <laughs> the <laughs> The uh, that sort of segment of the population, the millennials, yeah, avocado toast. <laughs> <laughs> also on the ceasefire text line from the two two eight. It's amusing to see the white conservative male butt hurt whenever a woman of color speaks up. That's in reference to our uh, denouncing of Representative Cory Bush from the great state of Missouri, I believe, who has said that Byron Donalds, Representative Byron Donalds, who hails from Florida, and uh, is... He's a prop. It's not progress. It's pathetic. We read her tweet earlier. According to the racist Cori Bush. But she also, let's find it, Rhino, said, I want to say that the ending words in her tweet were white supremacy. If you've got the tweet up in front of you, I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, her whole tweet. For what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker. He's a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. That's absurd. So this individual on the ceasefire text line says that we white males are having butt hurt Whenever a woman of color speaks up, no, we have butt hurt. Whenever anyone espouses racism and ignorance, like Cory Bush did, it's just it's absurd, asinine, inappropriate statements. Goes on to say, "Come on, Gerard, you didn't even realize he existed till the couple of days ago." I can't really say what I want to say here on the air because it get us kicked off, <laughs> but it ends with a B and there's an S in there. I've been watching Byron Donalds for well over a year because he is a regular guest on programs that I watch starting at 6 a.m. in the morning. I tune into Maria Bartiroma. I've made it clear on this program. I tune into the Business Channel. I have for 10, 12 years since it's been around. Prior to Fox Business, I watched CNBC. CNBC it got too liberal. Erin Burnett did the primetime show. Hell, she's at CNN now. I've been watching him as a regular guest on Maria, on Varney, on Charles Payne, on Cudlow. Numerous times. Not only that, I think I played sound several months ago here on the program because he made some statements during one of those shows, guest appearances, that made a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. Comes from the private equity world, by the way. 
You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You, well, sir, that much is evident when you read his text history. I've seen it. That's stereotyping, profiling. The very thing they blame us for. The very thing they accuse us of. You guys just stereotype. Just like you did in the prior statement. Oh, it's a woman of color speaking up. That's why you attacked her. You couldn't be more wrong. And you're showing your true colors here. Because you failed to investigate. You failed to even hear the other side. You just immediately concluded that I didn't know who Representative Byron Donalds was until two days ago. Because he happened to get nominated to be the Speaker. That's complete horse hockey. I have also said that on this program that the mayor of Miami, I know I've said it before, Francis Suarez, I've said I thought he'd be excellent as a president. He has led the city of Miami. He's made Miami what every city in America should aspire to be. He increased funding for police. He has been courting Silicon Valley companies. He's made Miami a little South Florida Silicon Valley. He's decreased crime. He's increased economic development. He's a Republican. And, and by the way, you could probably tell by his name, he's Hispanic, born in Miami. He is excellent. And guess where I saw him? On those same programs. Because they have people that are more oriented to, to business content. They're business shows. That's why they have Byron Donalds. That's why they dig him out of the Congress. He comes from a business background. I happen to have an interest in that. I follow people like that. I think they make great representatives. I think Byron Donalds will be an excellent speaker. I don't care what the hell his color is. But it's the left, right, that quickly jumps to these conclusions that because you call out Cori Bush, who is a racist, I'm just going to say it. She introduces race in every single thing she does. She's also got, while she's denouncing law enforcement, she's the one that's got the huge entourage of protection, right? Armed protection. Oh, but not you. What a hypocrite. We're coming right back for the final segment in the second hour and then Representative Charles Busby at 12.05. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Wow! I feel good. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Wrapping up hour two of the program, Representative Charles Busby joins us in the Element Wealth Studios after the news break, coming up at 12.05. 
Greg Newton says, you said earlier that when you were in business, you used to ask potential customers in other states if they had a problem spreading money, spreading or spending money in Mississippi, and they said no. That's not what you claimed when Supertalk was getting paid to advocate against the Mississippi flag, which is it? <laughs> that's laughable, Greg, honestly. Uh, first, that's not what I said. I said investors, not customers, investors. There is a difference. And by the way, these were debt investors from the private equity committee co- uh, community. I was seeking l- a loan, what's called a cash flow loan meaning it's not secured by any assets. You don't go to a bank and borrow a whole bunch of money without some sort of security. You seek that from institutional investors. It's very common. Go look at the balance sheets of any major public company and you'll see huge amounts of debt. And You wonder why they got all that debt. That's because they raise cash through the debt markets with debt facilities instead of selling stocks so as to keep the stock price up. And that's done without any assets. It's called cash flow debt. That's what I was seeking. This wasn't about customers. It was about lenders, most in New York. With respect to super talk getting paid to advocate for the flag, I know nothing about that. Because it didn't happen. I don't think it did either. It's an asinine assumption. Now, what is true that I can speak to in my work in economic development, yes, there are potential companies seeking to launch projects somewhere. You're typically in competition with other regions, other states for these economic projects, yes, that had issues with the flag. That's just fact. That's just a fact. But with respect to super talk getting paid, paid by who? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, I'll be honest, <laughs> neither Rhino nor I are involved in the management decisions with respect to uh, revenue or spending or expenses here. We're compensated <laughs> to do the show. Simple as that. And the extent of our discussions with management usually centers around topics, guests. That's it. In my two years of being here, I've never been asked about or informed about or seen any financial statements from that. It, I don't, I'm not entitled to that. It's a private company. So, I think you're over your skis there, Greg, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm sorry you misunderstood what I said, but I've never really... I have had customers that have scratched their head and wondered, how did you create such a company in Mississippi? Because they had this, unfortunately, negative perception of our state. Misconception. And so did the investment community. But once they come here... Or they got to meet our people, and they saw our resume. The box was checked. In a hurry, by the way. It wasn't like we had to persuade them. We had to persuade them on our, our, our thesis, our investment thesis, our growth strategy. Not the fact that we were in Mississippi. I take that as all very good. 
But these were lenders. It's a little different than a company that would actually locate something in Mississippi that is selling to others, and they would have this concern, just as we have people here in Mississippi that have the concern about doing businesses that uh, have philosophies, have initiatives with which they disagree. I'll never do business with them again because of their support for name it. Uh, you see it all the time. I'm boycotting them. The one that comes to mind is Dick's Sporting Goods, right, when they stop selling guns. I'll never do business with Dick's again, which, by the way, I respect your right to do that. Talk with your wallet and your feet. Absolutely. That's free market capitalism. For what it's worth, Dick's doing pretty well. I checked that out the other day. Yeah, because boycotts tend to not really work. They don't really work. Totally agree. Hmm. Gerard, maybe I should have said most instead of some in my last text. Uh, like Greg's text, I rest my case. Sam, uh, that's Sam in Mount Hermon. Yeah, before that he said, does it seem I like see some it. people that don't know anything will talk about everything? <laughs> like the last text, yeah. Yeah, it's, you, you, uh, once again, this whole idea of profiling, stereotyping, concluding, labeling, defining people without really knowing details about what you're, what you're talking about and having any evidence is just short-sighted. Representative Charles Busby, after the news, stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now, Representative Charles Busby. He represents District 111, which includes Jackson County and serves as the chair of the Transportation Committee. Representative Busby, how you doing today, sir? I'm well, Gerard. You caught me at Deer Camp. That's a good place to do an interview. Huh? Well, I was just looking at the background, wondering where the heck are you today. I couldn't tell, but all right, you're, I see all the deer now, all the mounts in the background up there. That that's pretty yeah. good trophies up there. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I have a lot that's of fun. Awesome. I, anyone who puts as much effort into it as I do would probably have three times that many on the wall. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. You know, as long as you're having fun, that's the main thing there. Yeah. And so, well. Yeah, there you go. All right, so you guys, uh, you've had uh, four days, right? You gaveled in for a little while today. Is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> in and out. Yeah. In and out. That's typical Friday. Typical right. Typical Friday. Typical, typical Friday. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Uh, what anything you can report that's notable after three days and an in and out? Any anything we ought to know about? Oh no, you know you know the first couple of weeks they're all spent with everyone working on their individual bills and getting them ready and 
then getting them dropped and the committee work can't start until the speaker's office has have uh, assigned those bills to the various committees and, and no assignments have been made. I doubt very few bills have been dropped yet. And uh, so, yeah, not a, not a whole heck of a lot to do uh, other than just individual work right now. What about in your committee, the Transportation Committee? What's on tap there? Um, I think we've done a really good job of addressing uh, rural roads and bridges we got a couple of gaps in there that we need to fill in. Uh, one of those gaps is state aid bridges. Uh, state aid bridges are not eligible for LSBP funding, which we have taken care of. Uh, and they have about half of the bridges, a little over half of, of the bridges that are not MDOT bridges across the state at about 20 million square feet of deck area, which is about two thirds of the deck area of bridges that aren't MDOT bridges across the state. And we have not set up any real funding mechanism for them. We probably need to take a look at that. Very proud of the work we've done on our other rural bridges. Uh, 2018, we had 542 closed bridges. Today, we have 242 closed bridges. So we got 300 bridges back open. Uh, still got some work to do, but we're moving in that direction. We have a mechanism by which we can get those fixed. We don't have a mechanism for the the, the state aid bridges. So. Uh, I'd like to work on that. And then also, uh, it's time to pay a little attention to the the, uh, the multimodal stuff. It's time to pay a little attention to our airports, our ports, uh, our rail, yeah. uh, a little bit of mass transit. You know, we've got a lot of federal money that's been made available for multimodal. And uh, coming up with that 20% match, I think, is something we need to do. They've, uh, they've been overlooked and neglected for quite a while. You know, we have a $10 million set-aside in the MDOT budget for multimodal. That's all they get in every $10 year. Million out of what? A, uh, a billion, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's time that we, we pay a little attention to that. Um, but, you know, we've, we've been kind of busy over the past few years yeah. trying to fix the problems with our roads and bridges. Yeah. So now we, uh, we, we think we got some solutions in place and, uh, and we're going to look at multimodal. Then uh, we've got to make certain that for the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act those past couple of years ago, uh, we need to continue to appropriate the money to be able to leverage the federal money from that act. Uh, it's going to take $200 million over the next five years, so $40 million a year. Uh, to leverage a billion from the feds uh, to help us with our highways there. Yeah, so... so and then um, we got one other thing that is uh, people kind of scoff at, kind of laugh at, and uh, most people think that we're uh, th that this is reserved for the Jetsons, but the fact of the matter is uh, autonomous vehicles are here. And uh, we are one of the only states, maybe the only state, that do not have regulations in place for autonomous vehicles. So it's time to get those regulations in place and, and fill that hole. Um, we will be having, uh, well, the Senate, actually, Senator Branning will be having a hearing next Thursday uh, on autonomous vehicles. And, hmm. and we're going to have a few of them there. We're going to have some that uh, legislators can see and ride in if they hmm. want. Uh, to kind of expose them to this. Uh, it'll be the first time for most of them, I believe. Uh, there's something very important uh, that, that we got to take care of. Yeah, it's coming fast, and so you're, you're wise to do so. I wasn't aware 
Representative Busby, that so many states had already addressed this in the form of legislation, and that we're not. I mean, I don't think there's any danger or risk tomorrow of AVs taking over the roads, but it's definitely coming, and we need to be prepared. It is is definitely coming. You know, Gerard, when we first started talking about AVs, it's probably six, seven years ago that that, uh, we were having these conversations, and it just seemed like they were far off. And at that time, we were thinking that we were going to have to change our roads in order to support AVs. We were going to have to have limited access roadways. So decisions were going to have to be made about uh, whether you continue to maintain the roads you've got or do you build new roads that are limited access to support autonomous vehicles yeah. of, uh, and, of course, supporting regular vehicles as well. Uh, but the, the technology has come along to the point that that's no longer necessary. Right. So that's really... That really takes a burden off of us when when that happens. Yeah, but it also accelerates the need for some sort of reasonable legislation to uh, maybe address it and regulate right. it to whatever extent makes poss- uh, makes sense. I actually have an opinion. It's just that an opinion that by between the twenty thirty five and twenty forty time frame, that sounds like it's a long way off ten, twelve, fifteen years. That it will be illegal in this country for a human to operate a vehicle. I, I well, really think that's where uh, we're headed. You, you could be right. Uh, you know, the <laughs> one thing that will really cut down on is distracted driving. You know, uh, uh, a vehicle that, that is driving itself, that machine is not going to be eating a hamburger. It's not going to be making a phone call. It's not going to be changing the station on the radio. And it's not going to be drinking. <laughs> so uh, I, in the places where they have been used for quite some time for the testing, um, vehicular accidents have gone way down. It's amazing. Uh, I I can say that uh, I had some customers in the uh, insurance business, casualty insurance business, auto insurance business, they're expecting it to diminish the need and the value of automobile insurance. They they, uh, estimate that the number of fatalities worldwide, once AVs are totally implemented and deployed, uh, would be reduced by a million a year which is incredible when you think about that. But the the good news is that reduces all of our costs, not to mention, uh, obviously, we're saving lives, which is the most important thing. And I know it's a ways off, but you guys are wise, I think, to at least start talking about it uh, at this point. I think so. Yeah. And it's not hard to speculate as to who the only group might be that would be against this. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To- totally right. What What about outside of the uh, committee there, uh, Transportation Representative Busby? The speaker was on the show earlier this week, indicated that complete elimination of the income tax still his top priority. Um, I, I would like to see that happen. I would hope that in as we are, are as we're developing our, our reasoning for this and we're running the numbers, I hope that we're not counting uh, this uptick in, in sales tax as something that is uh, is ultimately sustainable. I would like to see some economists help us out, somebody that knows this a little bit better than, than we do. Uh, I'd hate to see us count on that being sustained going forward and make a bunch of steps that we just have to back up on in a yeah. few years. The, can- uh, the Kansas we debacle. We, exactly. We don't, we don't I, want that to I happen. would like to avoid that if possible. <laughs> All right, so before you go, your plans, politically. Um, I have been uh, very honored to serve in the House of Representatives for the past 12 years. This is my 12th session. And uh, 
I, I am a candidate for uh, Southern District Transportation Commissioner. Awesome. That's what I thought. I think you'd be great at it. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner King has decided not to run again. And uh, I think with my experience as an engineer, as a contractor, as chairing the House Transportation Committee for, for eight years and, and uh, just being in the legislature, I think gives me a, a unique skill set that is probably tailor-made for that. I totally agree, and uh, I wish you all the best uh, in your pursuit of that office, Representative Charles Busby. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon, probably see you down there in the halls of the Capitol as well. Uh, I hope you have some success in your deer hunt. Yeah, yeah. thank you. So do I. That means grandsons kill them. It's it's all about them now. That's great. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. You and Rhino have a great weekend. You too. Coming right back on Middays, we're watching the vote. We'll give you a report on that from the U.S. House of Representatives. Stay with us. Yeah, got a little closer. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Orchestra, Jeff Lynn, bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Appreciate Representative Busby for joining us on the program. I do think he's uh, well-suited for that role as the Transportation Commissioner for the Southern District. Also, checking out the vote here, it looks like the 12th vote will not see a speaker emerge (laughs) 213 is presently said to 213. This may be at 211. It looks like we're about three short. So 213, 211. That's McCarthy, pardon me. McCarthy, 213. Jeffries, 211. Seven for others. So that puts us at 431. And we need, and they're 434. Honestly, I'm not sure if all 434 are present and able to vote. So it may be over. However, McCarthy did flip several votes. So you've got only seven in the other column. Let me read to you the list of the 14 now who flipped to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Representatives Bishop Brechin, I'm not familiar with who that is, I'm, and, and, and if I pronounced it correctly, B-R-E-C-H-E-E-N. By the way, I, this was just sent to me by Congressman Michael Guest, who's sitting in the chamber. Cloud, Clyde, Byron Donalds, Luna, Miller, Norman, Perry, Roy, little surprise at that one, Self, Goser, little surprise at that one. 
ogles, and Sparts went from present to Kevin McCarthy. Remember, we had one present vote in the 11th iteration, I believe. So, yet, yeah, it's not moving, so I'm assuming it's uh, the votes are all cast, and uh, looking at the image of the representatives walking about in the chamber, don't see the clerk calling the roll anymore. So it must be over. So I guess we're missing a few. Well, total of three, it would be. And most points out, if Jordan can flip the four that voted for him, it's a done deal. That's, that's right. That's absolutely right. So he's close. Got to have... Um, yeah, that's just don't know about the, the missing. Not sure where they would come down and if that changed. But the 14 flipping is significant. Now, what did he do to earn their votes? Not sure. I, I look for that. Says negotiations are occurring. I'm not sure. Now, that would be great, wouldn't it, for that to be done publicly, where we could see what they're bantering back and forth on. Again, I generally agree with uh, the policy demands from the detractors. I, I'm not on board with these demands that they've got to have a certain number of seats on the committees and, and an outsized number on the Rules Committee in particular. I just find that to be consistent with something that I abhor, which is affirmative action. So I, that's just, that doesn't work for me. And it shouldn't work for these people, being the self-professed conservatives that they are. That is, I think, counterintuitive to earning positions based on merit. It's just, hey, look, we got to have these seats because, you know, we're part of this caucus. That's, that's really all they're saying. And they're not saying, well, who would these people be exactly that you've got in mind? You're just saying we got to, what if you don't have enough that are qualified? That is possible, you know. It's like the intern walking in the front door and going, I want a seat on the board. <laughs> That's it. Because a chunk of these are freshman representatives. <laughs> Never been there before in their life. Have zero experience. <laughs> oh, gosh. On C-SPAN YouTube channel, you get three extra cameras showing who is lobbying who. That's from Moe's. How about that? Yeah, they're the winner in all this. C-SPAN's ratings. Huh. You got more people tuned in to C-SPAN than probably ever before. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm surprised, says Thomas and Greenwood. Friday and the aspect of not getting to go home usually makes legislators come together. I, I can report that Representative Michael Guest informed me they expect to be there late tonight and throughout the weekend. So, and you wonder what what the families do? Just pack it up and go home? Because they haven't been sworn in yet. And many are present to be with their member as part of the swearing-in, the photo opportunity, and to stand with them? Sure, it's a big deal. So well, they, they got to get... Never, no, never mind, that was in the Senate, where you had to get the COVID test to get your swearing-in photo. Kamala, they're all done with their formalities. What a joke. There is one representative from California that was making news for his book of choice to be sworn in on. Right. He apparently got a copy of a $5 million Superman book from the Library of Congress. <laughs> How about that? That's pretty cool. The Godfather, this is a 
someone I know pretty well, we are so screwed and guest help to get McCarthy in. I'm sick of the establishment. We are doomed. It's a clown show. Well, so... I would argue the tail wagging the dog with a small group of loudmouth look-at-me's right. is the clown show. The problem here, and this is becoming... I don't know why the last couple of weeks this has become so clear to me. But we don't really agree on a whole lot in this country anymore. You know, I've said that on the program. We can't <laughs> agree fundamentally on how many genders there are, or sexes, I guess. You've got to right, distinguish between gender, because that, that insinuates, implies how you feel about your sex. Sex is more the, the term to be used when you're talking about one's biological sex, right? Can't say gender because that's that's more the way you describe how one identifies. Sex is a term that I guess is more clinical. We can't even agree on that. We can't agree on where to go to the bathroom. You've seen that. There are cases now being heard and because of various school districts and states and all the crap going on in the schools. Who would have ever thought We'd be sitting here arguing cases in our courts about where students in school go to the bathroom. It can't be more unproductive than that. So the problem is, Godfather, is there's no large contingent of people that support one or the other here, or any philosophy, honestly. That's what it appears to me is that we just can't get on the same page on anything. So while I certainly appreciate your deep disdain and contempt for the so-called establishment, whatever that is, I'm not even sure, because honestly, you can't get a consensus definition on that. Well, I don't know what that means anymore. With terms and uh, monikers are so fluid. What does that mean? What does rhino mean anymore? Nobody could tell you. What does conservative mean? Because I was rhino long before the libertarians (laughs) started calling Republicans rhinos. (laughs) So I don't know that I would go so far as to say we're screwed. I do think that this has weakened the speaker, chair of the chamber. I do think this process has weakened it. I think that. It has harmed the prospects. And I I could be eating my words two years from now, but I do feel like Democrats are going to effectively leverage this clown show in in the next election cycle, 2024. Lots of senators up that are winnable elections for Republicans, by the way. Of course, every House seat, and most importantly, the White House. And I think the Democrats drinking their their brews and laying back on popcorn, I think they're going to use it. Very Although, in fairness, this is probably the most amount of time any Democrat has spent in the House since Pelosi became Speaker last time. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> Just this one week of That's ballots and, and vote whipping and That's taking the vote itself. 
They've spent more time at their desk in this one week than they have the last four years. <laughs> oh, wow. Sam from Mount Hermon says, I heard a rep last night from the Freedom Caucus on the Michael Knowles show last night say it was Kevin McCarthy who said he wanted more members from the caucus to be seated on various committees from what they wanted as concessions. I'm just not for putting that in writing and making that a concrete agreement. If Kevin McCarthy wants those people, then what's the problem? Why are they holding out for that? Because they keep saying he hadn't conceded to that requirement, that demand yet. Coming right back, half an hour left on Middays. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm just looking through the uh, this budget plan I was talking about earlier. That was commissioned by a couple of members of Congress and signed off on by. It's called the RSC. I'm trying to find out what exactly that stands for. What does that stand for? Republican Study Committee. Okay, it was it was commissioned by Representative Jim Banks of Indiana and Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, and I just pointed out that it was also executed, signed by the final plan. Representative Trent Kelly of Mississippi it represents District One in North Mississippi. One hundred and twenty-two pages. Was just taking a quick look at it and was curious about their plans for Medicare. All of, uh, Most people know, we've talked about it here on the program quite a bit, going broke and scheduled to, we're scheduled to deplete the trust fund, the Medicare trust fund, in uh, three, four years, depending on whose projection you look at. It's coming rapidly, that's for sure. Well, according to their own calculations in the RSC, they say with no action, Medicare will be bankrupt by 2026 and Social Security by 2034. Okay. Three, four years for Medicare. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing that it doesn't get the focus that Social Security does, but it's way more upside down. And that's simply because, at least with Social Security, you have some idea of what the expenses are. With Medicare, I mean, you can project it. But I've made this point before, we keep inventing more care. Most of it, I shouldn't say most of it, but a great deal of it is useful in your uh, older period of life. The, the Alzheimer's drug, which of course strikes people when they're older, and it's incredibly expensive. And Medicare and pharmaceutical company that produced it are working through that. But so when you paid into, just think about that, when you paid into Medicare, which is a, a nest egg 
that is intended to cover some, if not most, depending on your, your income level, of your health care once you reach the eligible age and you retire. And that eligible age is based on your birth date, but generally 65 to 67. It's supposed to cover that. Well, when you were paying in starting 30 years ago, it was not being anticipated that there would be all these new treatments, new drugs, etc., that would be available when you're retired that could be useful in treating or curing disease, help you live a healthier, longer life. So we just keep piling up more innovation. That's great. But in general, it costs money. And we don't have any more money in the trust fund to pay for these new treatments. So first thing they call for, just want folks to know, I know we have a, a, a smart, conservative audience. What do you think about this? The very first thing this conservative group suggests with respect to reforming Medicare, no surprise, increasing the age. Because we're living longer, and we still are using the same age as we did when the thing was formed in 1965. Folks are living longer thanks to major advances in health care during your, the middle, the early and middle parts of your life. In fact, just reading the report here, it says that when the program was formed in 1965, the expectation was that a Medicare beneficiary would be covered 13 years for males and 17 for females, and that has increased to 18 years. Wow! 18 years for males. That's up five years, five more years, almost 50 percent, 40 percent more years of coverage. Females, 20 from 17 to 20, so three more years. Well, that costs money. Good news is you're living longer. We're living longer. But from an economic perspective, that's more years where you need health care. And you're consuming more expense. So that's the first thing they want to do, is increase it. And they talk about, in this report, something you and I have discussed many, many times and I've shared is this ratio of workers, people paying in, people taking out. And they note in here, yeah, that's going to keep getting worse. we got an older, aging population living longer, fewer workers paying in. It's a pay-as-you-go system. And that, that doesn't work. That's causing uh, financial challenges. And they also want – I've got to dig into this, but and then I'll get off of this topic because it's probably putting people to sleep. But it's, it's just important to know the major part of our government – which is obviously fiscal policy that affects every one of us. At least this group did produce a plan. That whether or not it's tenable and practical is a different story, but they talk in here about having a way for private plans to be reimbursed by Medicare if you choose a private plan. So Medicare and private plans essentially Medicare Advantage, Medigap, they would compete with each other in a marketplace. That's interesting. 
And rather than buying base Medicare, you could use that money if you could find a plan. The, the idea is it would, it would uh, spur competition. You'd get innovation out of insurers that would want a piece of that market in competing with base Medicare for what's called parts A and B. It is crazy, ridiculously complicated. And uh, if, you've, if you're at that, and folks I know listening have probably been through this process, you've got to have somebody that really knows their way around that whole deal to help you figure out how you get your Medicare benefits. And they start hitting you with the Part A, Part B, Part D, Medicare Advantage, Medigap, private coverage. It just gets complicated. We've made it, I think, overly complicated. You're making a great case for removing the FICA cap. This is our friend that uh, on the ceasefire text line that said I didn't know who Byron Donalds was until two days ago. So basically what you're advocating for is, is a tax increase. Pay more in Social Security and Medicare. The, yeah, so what the Democrats have proposed, by the way, uh, already from a Medicare perspective already exists, which is your wages are subject to Medicare the Medicare tax, what's called hospital insurance, H.I., uh, there's no cap on that, no threshold. I, so he's asking me to explain what I'm going through right now. You see that text? Man, if ignorance is bliss, <laughs> he must be one happy camper. I'm explaining it. And I have explained it numerous times before, and I know folks' eyes glaze over at this kind of stuff. But bottom line is there's no cap on the levying of the Medicare portion of FICA. Not only that, but Obamacare enacted something I absolutely detest with respect to Medicare, and that is a 3.8% tax on all passive income. Investment income, as an example. So you have a capital gains tax, and then you layer on top of that 3.8%. And you remember a few weeks ago, Ryan, I had you play Kathleen Sebelius on the floor when that was being debated back in 09, whatever, and she was caught essentially carrying the water for the Obama administration, lying, because they did. They said, oh, yeah, it's going to be both a cut, but yet we're getting revenue, and, and the Representative Shimkus at the time from Illinois called her out. So you're double counting. And she really, you remember her, yeah, she couldn't answer the question. You're double counting, aren't you? Yeah, you were. You were double counting. There's no doubt about that. You're cutting, you're counting it as both an, both an increase in revenue and a cut in expenses. <laughs> the same pot of money, which was $500 billion, by the way, over the 10-year period of time. Jerry in Waynesboro says, yeah, latest development, 431. So I was right, it was 431. So we're missing three, because there's 434 in the chamber. Yeah, so he fell short. Right. Appreciate that, Jerry. We reported that as well. Uh, and when it's time for me to get a chance to retire in 24-8, I won't get crap. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Brad Bur uh, Burnsville. It's not putting me to sleep. It's pissing me off. I'm sick of this crap, man. My dad worked until he was 73. Uh, years old because of the recession when Obama was in office and had a bad wreck and finally retired. And now these lazy, no-good people who never paid their fair share in the workforce are getting my benefits. And when it's time for me to 
retire in 2048, I won't get crap. Well, that's why we got to fix the plan and ensure its long-term solvency. The question is, how do you do that? That's, that's what gets complicated. We're coming back with a final segment on Middays. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Studios on middays. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear, hear an interview with Ricky Matthews of Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors. I'm sure, they're going to be talking about this uh, whitetail deer issue. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m., right after middays on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, Super Talk FM, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And then we're going to be remote at Mississippi Blood Services again on Lakeland Drive in Flowood next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Jimmy in Tupelo says So, what is the real holdout on McCarthy? I think Rhino's right. The, the goalposts keep moving there. Uh, he's conceded to a lot of their demands at this point. I'm not sure they'll ever stop at this point. So getting closer. That's why his first concession was the no confidence vote. Yeah. Because if they had a problem with any of their other demands, they could just call for a no confidence. One person. But that's not good enough for them because they want the attention. One person could force a snap vote. Right then, stop everything going on. Nope, got to have a vote to see whether or not the speaker should remain or be removed. With one person, he already conceded that. Seems like that's pretty good protection. Hey, look, if everybody's in your camp and this guy's that bad, that should be nothing to it. It should be obvious he needs to go, and you should be able to, to make that motion, and it would go down, and he'd be removed. Nothing to it. Do not get between Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and a TV camera during their performative grandstanding. Uh, what did I just tell you about? There's a report going, uh, just came out about Gates with some calling, calling the speaker, uh, pardon me, Colin McCarthy engaged in vanity or something like that. What's that all about? I didn't catch that, but I did see it reported that there were several Republicans that just got up and walked out while he was talking because he's just spouting more nonsense. Okay. <laughs> I don't, uh, let's see, Gates, let me see if I can get the report. Gates interrupted by a Republican lawmaker as he nominates Jim Jordan drawing jeers and cheers. Okay. But apparently he took some personal shots, as he has been doing at uh, McCarthy, which I don't really think serves any purpose. We should be talking about the philosophy of governing, the rules in the chamber, key critical policy matters that we need to address. That's what should be talked about. I it guarantee just goes to show how unserious Gates and Boebert and all the rest of them really are. Sure seems like it. So how do they know Medicare is out of money? Do they open a drawer and say, yep, it's over, Darren in Jackson says. 
Uh, Darren, it's it's based on uh, actuarial science. And literally, that's just the science of trying to estimate uh, lives, how long people are going to live, and uh, how many benefits they're going to consume, and how much money is scheduled to come in. It's a whole bunch of data inputs that are factored into those projections, in a nutshell. Now, it's the same actuarial science that flies in the face of all the climate activists, because if... Uh, it's true. If there was really going to be sea levels rising and ruining coastlines, you would not have banks giving money for property on the coast. That's true. Totally agree. On the ceasefire text line, when they go bankrupt, talking about Social Security and Medicare, will we continue to have to pay into these plans? Well, here's what I can say, I think, with a fair degree of confidence. If we don't fix Social Security and Medicare, it doesn't matter. The world's over. I know that sounds radical. It sounds crazy. It sounds out there. But what it means is that the full faith and confidence of the United States, from a financial perspective, has just been breached. And that would, in fact, mean total economic collapse. That's why when folks say, well, you know, they, uh, the, the, the uh, Congress stole all that money from Social Security, that's why it's going broke. Absolutely not true. Borrowed in accordance with law, every single dime paid back, redeemed on a daily basis with interest in accordance with law in special bonds called S-bonds. If the U.S. Treasury ever defaulted on a payment, that means Social Security is done. That means the U.S. economy is done. That means the global economy is done. When you no longer have the confidence of the globe that this country pays its bills, over. Uh, Carolyn Starkville says, are they pushing for universal health care? I don't see that in this plan, this, this plan that was signed off on by a number of conservative members of the House, the, what they call it, the Republican Study Committee. I don't see that, but I just see them trying to kind of integrate Medicare with private coverage in a way to address the overall Medicare question. Uh, Tricare is upside down, Mose. I know you saw that. Gates is an idiot, says Shaq Bully in uh, Biloxi. Look at what the fringe left did to the Democrats. I hope the fringe right doesn't do the same to the Republicans. That's because you're an adult, says Mike from Grand Bay. We are out of time here today. Please have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.